This episode is brought to you by Certified Piedmontese Beef. Listen up, foodies. Make your next meal even better with real Nebraska beef. They have healthy, tender, delicious Italian heritage beef, grass-fed and sustainably raised on lush pastures in the Midwest. You can even create your own personally curated meat box that's shipped right to your door. To get two free steaks with any purchase over $50, use the code FREEBEEF at checkout. Learn more and shop exclusively at cpbeef.com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Bear. The hit series returns with Jeremy Allen White in the Golden Globe-winning role of Carmi. He and the team will transform their family sandwich shop into a next-level spot, all while being forced to come together in new ways as they confront their past and reckon with who they want to be in the future. FX is the bear. All episodes now streaming only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. This season's podcast is sponsored by a great new startup called Tweak Life. They have built a well-being hub full of useful information of tweaks that you can make, including mindfulness, nutrition, exercise, managing addictions, improving your finances and even the menopause. The last few years have been really tough for us all. And with this in mind, Louise created this hub hoping to help individuals and businesses offer this to their employees and apply some of these tweaks to make a difference to people's lives. This is free to use, so for more information, please go to tweaklife.co.uk. My guest today on One for the Road is a 28-year-old rapper from Ottawa in Canada. He is famed for his top 10 song called Dear God, and after he released his single called Dear Alcohol, he realised it was then time to stop. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you the amazing Daniel Nuoso Jr., a.k.a. Dax. So, hi, Dax. Welcome to my podcast, One for the Road. How are you doing today, mate? I am blessed, man. Blessed and highly favoured. Happy to be here. Good lad. Um, I've been looking at your career, and it's fantastic. And you're just a wee lad of 28 years old, which is my son's age. And uh, you've done some amazing music, mate. So, congratulations on that one. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so, you grew up in Ottawa in Canada. And you, I hear that you was uh, quite into your sport, right? Basketball, more like. Yeah, I grew up in uh, Ottawa, Canada. Was originally born in Newfoundland. Um, I think uh, I still don't know what age I necessarily came here, but essentially, yeah, I started playing basketball at the age of eleven. Once I'd found the law of attraction, and I would say up until then, I felt I felt like I was just probably just living life. I don't really, 
I don't have much recollection before the age of 11. I feel like I was just a human existing on earth, not really knowing what I was doing, even though that sounds young to say that, you know, like what 10 or eight year old really is doing much, but that's just how I always thought, you know what I mean? But once I found that law of attraction, I would say that's when life really started. How did you find that then? What, what was you just Googling stuff or what, what that's a young age to find that, isn't it? Right. So I was, I was surfing YouTube. I think, um, I don't remember the exact day how it happened. I was surfing YouTube and a video called The Key came up. And I was like, oh, what is this? And I clicked the video and basically it summed up that every single thing you see in life starts from within your brain. You know, the life you see without starts with the life you see within. And that you can manifest this life you want if you think about it consistently. And it basically said, try it out. So at that time, I was 11 years old and my favorite car was a BMW 3 Series. I'm like, okay, well, let me think about the BMW 3 Series just like nonstop. I just like closed my eyes and really thought about it. And I noticed that I started to see it literally everywhere. And it had even been in spots that I had walked by all the time, but have never seen it. So at that point, I'm 11 years old. You know, at 11 years old, that you're malleable. You know, everything sticks. You're learning fast, all that stuff, you know? So I'm like, wow, I have this superpower now, the law of attraction, <laughs> you know? So I'm walking around thinking I've like figured out the world and I start literally like manifesting things in my brain would just like sit down in a room, think about it and then like walk out in the world and see if it showed up. And a lot of the times it was for the little things that I was creating in my head. So at that time I started playing basketball as well, got serious about it. And I'm like, okay, basketball is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. So that was from that age, 11 up until I left Canada. And even for the next 10 years, basketball was just all I did pretty much. And was you good? I was great, man. I'm a pro. I'm a pro for sure. Wow. For sure. I think I played, I mean, I was the best basketball player in my city. I won two city championships, uh, played on the uh, Nash, provincial national team, won a national championship, second team all-star, you know, led college, my league in scoring, did a bunch of good stuff for sure. Basketball was, was a good thing. Yeah, man. And um, what got you into the rapping? How old was you when you started thinking about that then? So... Oh, I got to, I got to break down a story for you. How? Okay. So, cause it's a lot, it's a, it's a tedious, tedious process here. Let me see. So age of 11, make the decision. I'm going to be a basketball player for the rest of my life. You know, Kobe Bryant was my idol. I basically mimic his work ethic to a T, you know, I was completely, literally obsessed. I have an obsessive personality. So when I get into a routine, like I could do one thing for life, you know, I'm that type of guy militant. So I'm obsessing over basketball every day, six hours after school, before school, playing on this team, the older team, the younger team, watching videos, just everything. And I'm like, okay, well, I need to get out of Canada if I want to pursue basketball at the highest level and play it in the States. So I get to around my senior year. And at that time, my mom was like, oh, you know, you could meet someone who can change your life at a bus stop. And I was like, okay, well, I need to go to prep school, then division one. So I ended up meeting a guy at a bus stop, literally. And he, he was, he actually brought a fake school to Canada from the Bahamas. They ended up getting deported. It's a real story. Um, they were practicing at the YMCA and he liked my work ethic and we played their school at some tournament. Someone filmed it on an iPad. He called up a guy named Coach Kyle, who I just talked to the other day. He coaches at Sunrise Christian Academy, calls him on the phone, shows him the video. He's like, hey man, you can fly down to America and we'll give you a scholarship to play at our prep school if you're good enough. I go down there, don't miss a shot. Now I'm in the States. So I'm in the States then. And then I ended up going on a roller coaster ride. I went to three different universities in four and a half years. Went to junior college, Casper College, went to the University of Montana, D1. Then I went Division II at Newman University. That's where I got the overnight janitor job. 
And the overnight janitor job eventually culminated into me writing my first poem on the bus to a basketball game. And then that poem eventually turned into music. And now I'm here. Who were your heroes then back in the day when you was doing that? I would say Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. I also like Dennis Rodman just for like the craziness factor of it and what he did on the court. So yeah, those are my guys. Not more, more, more so not for their accomplishments, more so for their mindset. Yeah. And what about the music? Eminem? No, it's crazy. See, I, I was never, I was never musically interested, you know, like I didn't grow up wanting to be a musician. I never thought it was a cool thing. Like music was just the background to my life that supported the basketball journey. Like I need music to work out. What's going to pump me up? Yeah. You know, there was a period in time where I didn't even, I would listen to motivational s- speeches and like compilations before I would work out because I sometimes I didn't feel like the music would get me there. So like I didn't, I didn't have any musical, if I had to say anyone, it would probably be Tupac. You know, I went through that phase, but um, it was more basketball and sports people I was looking up to. So there's your backstory um, leading up to, was it 17 years old you started drinking? Yeah. Do you want to tell me all about that? How did that start if you were so into your sport? So what happened was this. So I'm 11 years old. I make the decision to become a basketball player. This is what I'm doing with my life. So I basically shunned everything social-wise that whole period in time from like 11 years old. Like, you know, I remember, you know, grade seven, everyone's, you know, kids start partying, kids start, you know, drinking and smoking and stuff like that. I shunned it all. Like, I just like put myself in a cocoon, waking up 5 a.m., go to school before, get shots up, practice, weights. And that was just a recurring cycle. So once I hit the age of 17, at that point, I was the best basketball player in the city. I had won, you know, two city championships, you know, things were going well. I was like, you know what, maybe I can now try this out because I had never been to a party before. You know, even that at that point, I didn't even like really talk to girls, really didn't do anything. I was just like in that cocoon of basketball. So I'm 17 years old. Things are going good. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try to go to my first party, you know, but I didn't want to do the whole pre-drink thing. So I was like, you know, I want to sit in my basement and I want to try drinking for the first time by myself so I can feel the effects and exactly what it's going to do to me because that's just the way my brain works, you know? So I sit in my basement. We had all these leftover Heineken from this Nigerian party. And I used to do like my dribbling drills and workout in my basement. So I sit on my basement. I grab this Heineken, you know, the green Heineken. I open it and I look at the bottle. This is like, you can hear it in my music. I'm very introspective. You know what I mean? So I'm literally looking at the Heineken bottle. I'm like, okay, this, it starts here. Because I'm on the way to my first party. This is like my first high school party ever. Mm. Right? So I'm looking at the Heineken. I start drinking it. I told myself, let me start drinking seated down because I was like Googling that apparently when you sit down and stand up, you get like a head rush and you feel a little bit more drunk. So maybe I can drink less and sit down and stand up and I'll feel it more. So I take this Heineken and I notice like I get a little head rush and I start drinking that one. I'm a big guy. So I drink like one or two. I think it was two or something like that. And the first thing I remember was like, oh, I noticed myself blinking right now. And it was like the first time in my life I knew I was blinking. So I drink a couple of Heineken's. I get up and I'm like, I'm going to the party. I remember just feeling like cool. So I get to the party. Everyone's like, Daniel, like, what are you doing here? Because I had never done anything. And I just remember that night circulating around that party, showing up by myself. I was the most social I have ever been. I was not shy. I was talking to girls. I was, I felt like I was the life of the party. It was almost just like, I felt like the one time when I found the law of attraction, I had a superpower. I felt like I had discovered my second superpower in life. 
And I get to the part and I'm like, wow, I have a little bit of this. And I'm just like a totally out of my shell. And now I'm dominating the basketball field. Okay, but now if I have this, I can dominate the social aspect. I can get more girls because I'm not afraid to approach them when I'm when I'm drunk. So it was like unlocking this su- unlocking this superpower at 17 years old. And my thing was that I never liked to drink with people. I started off drinking alone. So it was really a superpower because I would do it by myself. And the person, when I showed up, they thought I hadn't been drinking. Because like when I'm drunk, it doesn't look like I am. I'm completely the exact same person. It's just inside my head. Everything's more fun. I'm more confident. I just feel, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that was the first time drinking. And so then at that point, you know, I have that structure of life where at that point it's you work during the week, you party on the weekend, you work during the week, you party on the weekend. I was under that, I would call it a safety net in society. That's that safety net that we all get until you sort of get in the real world, you know? So I'm going to school, having parties on the weekend. I end up going, I get my prep school scholarship. I go there. I go to a private Catholic Christian prep school, Sunrise Christian Academy. We had mass on Sundays. We had um, Bible study every day and I'm playing basketball. So there wasn't even time to drink mm. when I was at prep school. It was, we weren't even like allowed to look at girls, you know, like it was, it was like, but it was, the discipline was needed. So I have that 17 year old year where I start drinking. And then I go to this, this private Christian school after there was no drinking at all. No, nothing. Then I go to junior college in Casper, Wyoming. And this was my first time being out in the world, really like no constraints as it's college, you know, and I'm in Wyoming, you know, where people were drinking moonshine. There's all types of stuff. So that's when it was really like, okay, basketball go crazy during the week on the weekend. Let's get lit. Basketball crazy during the week, weekend. Let's get lit. You know what I mean? So, um, I mean, I guess the question was my first time drinking. So that, that 17 year old, that was my first experience drinking. And how long did that go on for? Cause you formed yourself a routine, didn't you? Like work hard, play hard kind of thing, isn't it? I would say, yeah, work hard, play hard. But here's my thing. I knew my limitations very early on. Like even right now, I've only ever puked twice. The first time I puked, we were going to a party. It was like New Year's. I was like, I think I was 17 that time. Because the first, the reason I drank alone my first time was because I wanted to see what type of drunk I was. Mm. You know, I I had seen friends who they drink and they fight. You know, I I had seen friends who drink and all they can like once once they're drunk the only focus they have is getting a girl you know then i had seen people who like drink and like they almost become like a recluse and just it was like an emotional thing so i wanted to see what type of like drinker i was and i found out early on that i was like a happy drinker like early on it was like okay when i'm when i drink i'm super social i don't want to fight i'm just like more focused on like okay like you know what girl might i get tonight or what it's like you know i was a happy guy so that was my first thing with that but yeah, I got in a cycle because of college initially. So, and I went to three different schools in four years, three different colleges. So I had three whole opportunities to almost like reinvent myself. I was the new guy, three different colleges. Mm. So that's a whole crazy experience in itself. You know, no one, it, it was only my last school where they got two years of me, but every other place it was like here and I'm gone. So it was just, you know, it was college, you know, <laughs> you know, it was crazy, you know, just partying and was you like beginning to party more was it like compromising your basketball after a while no that was the thing with me my drinking never got in the way of my work i was a type of guy like right now like for example like last when i was drinking every day 
let's say I would wake up, have two shots of tequila and I would do 500 pushups, you know, like, wow. I just, like, like even like now when I wake up, I'm just like sort of on a mini like vacation thing right now, but I can't leave my actual room until I get to 300 pushups. So it's like, that's right. my, like, I'm that type of person. So it never got in the way. So you, you're like an all or nothing person. Like you're really, really focused, aren't you? So like what you were saying about your career was like basketball was that was what you were focused on. Right. I think a lot of us are like that, mate. When we drink, we're all or nothing people, you know. So like for me, it was like when I decided I I used to smoke and one day I just said I ain't smoking anymore. And that was 25 years ago. And I haven't, and I was like that with drinking. I was, I was drinking for 40 years. Uh, Mm. And then one day I got up and I said, I've done, done, you know, and I am. So I'm really, really focused on things if I really want to do it as well. Right. Yeah, it's like, it's just, is that decision. It was almost like, and like, it's like we're habitual, you know? So it's all about just like finding that new habit, you know? And like, yeah, so I only, I only puked a couple of times. And I remember the first time I, I puked, we went to a party, I drank too much. And I knew I was at that stage. And all I did, I sat on the couch at that party, literally just like this, just waiting till it was over. And everyone was like, dude, are you okay? What are you doing? I was like, I drank too much. I wasn't like tripping out. I wasn't all over the place. Yeah. I just went and sat down. And I was just like, wow, I'm really there. Yeah. And then at the end of the night, I puked. And I was like, I'm never getting there again. And then it yeah. happened one more time. And then that uh, was it. What, what was your, we called it over here, what was your poison? What did you mainly drink then? Because what you know what you said about being a happy drunk? Right. I started off like that because I'd found this new thing that gave me confidence with the girls and confidence with my mates because my growing up I was like I used to play at home uh with my Meccano set and stuff when all the other lads were going out drinking up their shops and whatever I mm. I had little confidence so when I started drinking it gave me the confidence to be someone else you know not the real me the quiet shy person so it started off like I was the happy drunk but mm. I found it depended on what I drank and also if I was tired, if I didn't like the place I was at, like it could be a club, I didn't like music or whatever, or if someone was giving me a bit of mouth, I, you know, so I, I didn't really know what type of drunk I was because it depended on the environment. Right. So, yeah, I, was, I would say that too. For me, it was like I didn't figure out the dif- how different alcohol affected me until I went on my first tour. Because I remember the guys, because I was I was on the Tech Tech Nine tour. My first that was my first ever tour with Tech Nine. It was crazy, and they were all just like, um, "No, it's got to be tequila because agave." And I didn't really know the difference because up until then, I was like, I was the guy I was bent on just drinking the cheapest shit. Like when I was at uh, um, Newman University, I, I I used to call them my mental health walks. I would just walk to the liquor store and I would literally just find the cheapest one. Like the cheaper it was, I wanted because I was also broke. Yeah. You know, I, was, I was making seven twenty five an hour, so I was just like, "No, nah, I like," and I and I didn't even like, I didn't like mixed drinks. I didn't like the thought of alcohol. I literally just liked what it did. To yeah, me. yeah, that was it. I I don't enjoy the taste. I don't enjoy beer. I've never enjoyed alcohol. I just like the mindset it would put me. Yeah. In. So I was just looking for the cheapest shit. You know, whether it was and I think it was like vodka back then. You know, like the stuff they were selling in Kansas is crazy. You know, one twenty five, you get like this. You know, yeah. you're lit. Yeah. So yeah, it was, but it wasn't until later I figured out the actual effects, and I was like, yeah, when I drink the darker stuff, I feel like more depressed, and the yeah. tequila was more of like, uh, oh, the tequila makes me want to work out. Yeah, I get that actually. 
Um, it's that more of an instant sort of, right, let's do this thing. But some, some of the drinks I had would make me feel really lethargic and like I didn't want to do anything. It's odd, isn't it? But what, um, what's the transition then from your basketball to your music career then? What, how did that begin? So how did I go from basketball? Yeah, to like because you you was right into your right. basketball, you started drinking whatever. So you said that you was a janitor at one of the colleges and you used to write poems and stuff. So right. what was your transition? What was your break? So the transition was this. So I go to junior college, Casper, Wyoming, Casper College. Then I go to University of Montana. I get a scholarship there. I, the only scholarship that offer I had to play division one basketball as I'm going coach Tinkle gets a new job at Oregon state. He tells me I'm not going to be the coach anymore there, but the, your scholarship's still there if you want to go. So I go It's a new coach there. Uh, Travis DeCure didn't fuck with me. It didn't work out. So I ended up transferring to Newman university. Once I'm at Newman university, it was D two. So I was still on scholarship, like full scholarship, but it just, the perks weren't the same. You know, so I ended up getting halfway through because I'm like, you know what? Maybe my shot at the NBA really isn't looking too good right now, being at a Division two small Catholic Christian college. So I'm like, let me get a job. So I become an overnight janitor and they put me in the poetry section or like the, the arts. It was called Damatias Hall. It was the arts hall of the university. So I'm cleaning up after poetry events. I'm cleaning up the 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 art rooms, all of that. And I don't know if that just caused an affinity towards it to maybe for me to view it in a different way. Cause I would, all, I always thought like, ah, poetry, it's like, ah, this is, you know, it's not, um, I played basketball. I'm an athlete. I can't do this shit. You know what I mean? But I was always good with words. So we're on the way to a basketball game to play Arkansas Fort Smith. And um, I was listening to something on SoundCloud and I was like, yo, I should try to write a rap song. I don't know how it came to me. I'm like, so I try to write this rap song and the lyrics I was writing did not fall in line with who I was as a person because most of what I'd seen in rap and hip hop didn't really align with my life, but I liked it for pump. It was pumping me up in basketball and stuff like that. So I'm like, ah, I can't write this stuff. So I was like, oh, let me write a spoken word poem. And at that time I thought I coined the phrase spoken word poem. I quickly Googled it and realized I hadn't, it's, it's been a thing. So I write my first poem and I look at it and I just remember going like, wow, this is amazing. I get off the bus, I show it to my teammate and he's like, you wrote that? And I was like, yeah, I just wrote that on the bus. He's like, that's crazy. And then from then on, I just kept writing poems. And like, it was weird because I enjoyed it, but I didn't really enjoy it. So in the beginning, I would take my mental mental health walk to the liquor store, grab the cheapest liquor I could find, go back to my room before we would go out and party or whatever, sip, you know, write mm-hmm. periodically, and then go, maybe go to a party or something. So do you think the booze enhance your writing? Because um, <laughs> I'll tell you a story, right? I, I was going to college, right, to um, study counselling. <laughs> and I used to go to the pub, open up my uh, MacBook, get a couple of beers in me, and then start writing, right? And by the end of what I had to do, 1,500 words, 2,000 words, I'd had eight, eight pints, right? And I, I looked at it and it was like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. Send, send it. I was going to college two days later and I was, uh, can you come and see me, David? And I was thinking, yeah, they love it. And they said to me, what is this? Right, <laughs> it was right. Absolute drivel. Right. So, yeah, I was, <laughs> I wouldn't, I would I, I would, I would, for music, alcohol does not help. I, I realize that, like, I, I don't drink when I record. Maybe, like, so I'll have, like, I'll sip a, a beer, but even now, I don't like sipping beer. It sort of just hurts my head. I don't know why. 
but uh like yeah i i can't drink and record music because like i said when i record it it doesn't come out good mm. you know so i stopped that a while ago i remember when i first moved to la i would like go to these studios and there'd be liquor in there and you drink and you think what you're doing is is fire you listen to it the next day you're like oh my god yeah you know so but i for poetry was i i, I think at that time it did enhance my poetry because mm. I didn't necessarily think what I was doing was the coolest thing, but I just knew like this was the path that like, you know, this is what, this is the gift God gave me. Mm. Like I am naturally inclined and good at this more inclined than I was when I started basketball. So like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And I don't know if like sitting here and just like, you know, writing poems is fun. So let me just add some alcohol to it. I can really hear that. And, and so what was your actual break? Because it's interesting, like, I've been looking at um, your videos and that, and they're really, really, I don't know, the more I watch them, the more I want to watch them. They're really powerful, the visuals as well. You know, and we're going to go on to your track you did about um, alcohol in a little while, right? But it's, I've written down some of your uh, titles, and for me, as someone who drank 40 years, they all relate to my boozing. Right. Mm. So Joker, dear God, mm. I need a break. My heart hurts searching for a reason. I can't breathe. All these song titles immediately flare me up like, Oh my God, I can relate to that title straight away. And it's ironic mm. that, um, this is the path you've gone and you've been drinking throughout this until yeah. you, and I believe you were, you were still drinking when you recorded. The song about alcohol, right? Right. Yeah, I was. I was. I was probably drinking for a little, a uh, couple weeks after I even made it. It was almost just like a bittersweet thing. It was like I, I almost felt like I knew alcohol and me drinking consistently was coming to an end forever. And I was like enjoying the song while like there's a lot of people online who I see drinking to the song. You know, it's weird. The song almost has like a double thing until you really understand the words. Yeah. Like it might it might not hit you in that way. Cause it's like a happy song, but yeah. a sad song at the same time. Yeah, the song, but the visuals are really, really powerful. Right. Like right. you know I was saying to you earlier that how addictive and toxic the drug is in in the video. There are people of all ages, shapes, and stuff, all from different backgrounds and whatever, and that's what it does. It, it reaches everyone, doesn't it? And, and it, right. it ruins people's lives. But even in the video, I was thinking, how's this affected your kids? And, you know, the knock-on effect is enormous, isn't it? Right. And it's, it's crazy. I didn't, I, didn't think, I didn't think it was going to be my most relatable song, but then I realized it does touch everybody in the world, you know, from – either someone you know you or like you yeah. know, everyone can relate to alcohol but i think it's because you wrote it as well it was like it proved what you was going through i mean you've thrown right. the bottle against the wall and you know the frustration right. from our drinking as a young guy as well you know i told you that um I interviewed Cher Adelican from the Gorillas, um, and and he had a really difficult relationship with alcohol as well. Yet he was playing in a in a huge band, going all over the world with Damon Albarn. And I asked him about if it affected his music. And at the time, he said he didn't think so until he became sober. 
And then his music became so much better because he had more clarity, you know. Yeah. And it's just fascinating, you know, like I suppose for someone who is drinking, who hasn't had an issue with alcohol, watching your video has a completely different effect on me watching it. Right, exactly. It really does. I think it what it does to people who may not drink themselves, it helps them understand, like, for example, let's say you're a kid and you like, let's say your, fa- your father's a drunk. You don't really understand why he's doing it. But I think the song helps like bring understanding to what's going through that person's head, you know? So I think that's why even people who don't drink are able to relate to it because everyone knows somebody who drinks too much, you know? Absolutely. So how bad was your drinking when you got to that stage? When, at what point did you think, you know what, this has got control of me now and I don't like it or? So what happened was I get out of college, I come to LA or I went to LA at that time. Um, and the first eight months out there was essentially me trying to gain like facial recognition. I was going to my, my goal was I'm going to go to three or four music events at night. I used to go on Eventbrite, look them up. I just want to be seen everywhere. I want to meet people, you know, so I'm going to these events and I'm going by myself. So alcohol is in company with every single event, every single party, sometimes three, four a night. So I get in this cycle of that. That goes on for eight months. At eight months, I stopped partying totally. I dropped a song called She Cheated Again, and that was like my first big like blow up and own song. That goes on for a little bit, and then I go on the Tech Nine tour, and I'm still drinking during this time, like you know, by myself here and there, maybe parties, girls, whatever it is. Also, I had a I had a breakup at that time, so that played a big role. You know, the song was obviously called She Cheated Again. So I was going through some shit, you know, I was, man, I was tired. I remember back then I would even like go to strip clubs sometimes. I was just in like such a, a weird place in my brain. Like the mm. whole thought of like women was such a whole like distant, like, I was like, you know what, let me just like go to this place where I know, like, like say I go to a strip club where I know, you know, they don't actually fuck with me. It's just, it's, it's, this is what it is. I, Cause I don't want to be lied to, mm. you know? So I was in a whole deep, dark place with all that shit. Then I get on the tech nine tour. That was my first ever tour. You know, you go on your first tour with Tech Nine. It's crazy. You know, one of the biggest independent artists, maybe the biggest independent artist of all time. He's great, amazing, legend. Um, so I was drinking every day on that tour before every show, doing the whole thing. But I quickly realized on that tour, I was like, you know what? I don't think I can do this for 20 years at this rate, you know? But that's when I switched specifically to tequila. Mm. Like, oh, man, what are you drinking that for? You know, like some of the guys on, on my bus would say, nah, man, you got to drink tequila, man. It's a plant, agave. And I was like, tequila, okay. So I started drinking tequila and I was like, yo, I don't even really get hangovers in the morning. You know, I would drink, I would drink my tequila. I would do my 500 pushes before I go on stage, I'm drinking eight water bottles a day and I'm waking up no hangover. And I'm just like, yo, this is lit. So tequila is like, tequila is te- like tequila is the one, you know? So that's when I switched to tequila. And I remember there was one show on that tour. I drank, I think it was like a darker one. I don't know if it was rum or something like it was dark. And I just remember being angry. And that was when I noticed the differences between alcohols because I drank tequila the whole time up until that one show. And I was like, oh, so there is a difference. These things really do do different things to you. So I do that tour drinking every day. You know, that was like four months of the year. It was 55 shows. Mm. Right after that tour, I go on my own first solo tour in America. So now I'm drinking every day on that tour. Then right after my first American solo tour, I go on my first Canadian solo tour drinking every day on that on that tour so that year my first year of touring i did 100 shows which was the most that year so i do 100 shows i get done performing that year i get back i'm in canada and i'm just like yo, that's crazy and as i was in canada i went to the liquor store 
and I bought some tequila. And I would wake up in the morning and I would drink and do push-ups and work out and get all my tedious work done. And I just remember like one time my mom found like the tequila in the room and she was just like, Danny, you need to stop, you need to stop drinking this stuff. She calls it the dark drink. You know what I mean? And she was just on me about it. But I was like, I have it under control because I just do it to do with my tedious work and I do it and I do push-ups. Like I don't just, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's always accompanied with like the grind. But for me, the grind is all day. I'm always working, whether I'm working out or doing music stuff or, you know what I mean? So it was like, it's a whole day thing. So then I get back, tour's done. I'm done the vacation. The pandemic hits right after that. So Tech Nine tour, my own tour, Canadian tour, a little break, pandemic. So now the pandemic, I'm essentially drinking during the whole pandemic. And I also started drinking energy drinks during the pandemic. I quit those too, by the way, thank God. So um, yeah, the whole pandemic goes down, you know, essentially drinking the whole pandemic. The pandemic sort of slows down. Now I'm just in a cycle of drinking every day. Even if it was like, at one point I was like, you know what, let me, I don't want to be drinking alcohol. Let me just like drink a Mike's Heart or a lemonade, you know, so I get done working out, have that. And I was like, I knew I needed to slow down. So I was like consciously trying, but nothing was pushing me to the edge of actually slowing down. So by the time I look up, two, two and a half years has gone by. And I look at myself and I'm like, yo, when was the last time you haven't drank two days in a row? And I was like, I couldn't answer the question. And right around that time, beer alcohol was made. And that was like God. T- I felt like it was God telling me like, okay, you need to slow down. Yeah. Like something needs to change because you can't do this. You know, you can't drink alcohol, drink energy drinks, work out like a madman and just obsess over music for, you know, it's not because something has, you can't have it all. That's a prescription for a bloody heart attack, that is, isn't it? All those energy drinks and right. that booze and whatever. And then, and then you, you're overcompensating by thinking, well, I'm doing 300 press-ups and I'm doing this, that and whatever. And we kind of make excuses, didn't we? We, we think, well, you know, like I get up for work in the morning, I do a big day's work and I eat properly and I try and sleep and that. It's all rubbish, really. We're kidding ourselves, aren't we? I mean, I got to a stage that a doctor said, literally, you could drop down dead any any second now. That's how bad I was. Um, oh, cholesterol wow. was vile. Blood pressure was 184 over 126. I was three stone overweight. Like, it really got me. Like, because my drinking, it always has a cumulative. I don't really buy into the disease theory. It's the cumulative thing where I ended up drinking so much every single day and my tolerance got so high that I could drink half a bottle of vodka and I, I would feel like I hadn't even had a drink. Do you know what I mean? Wow. So I ended up drinking a litre and the only reason I stopped drinking a litre was because I passed out every time, every day. I couldn't drink more without passing out. So at 52, 53, 54, drinking that amount of booze being freestone overweight and blood pressure sky high, I was, I was a ticking time bomb. Ticking time bomb, right. You know? So wow. you've got out in time, but what happened? You wrote Dear Alcohol, um, and then two weeks later you gave up, right? How did you do that? Uh, I would. I don't know. So Dear Alcohol came out March 11th. I want to get this accurate here. So I wrote, Dear Alcohol came out March 11th. I wrote this song probably about a month and a half before it came out. And I was just like, when I, usually when I, when I make a song, I consider making a song like a child. It's my child. And I literally sit on it and just listen to it on repeat, nothing else. You know what I mean? So I might've been drinking a little bit longer than two weeks after I made the song, if, if I made it uh, a month and a half before it came out. But what, what, what happened? Was it because of the song that, it made you, yeah. you know, like you, you have that 
pivotal moment in your life that you think I, you know what you said, like um, a voice from God saying, look, enough's enough. Did you just get up one day and think I've got to draw the line on this? Yeah. So, cause my songs always come from a place of, I, sometimes I feel like, you know, it's, it's either what I'm going through or what I want to avoid. Mm. So I knew where I was at and I saw the path and where it was going. And I already knew I didn't like it because I was always subconsciously trying to stop drinking. Like I, like I was drinking, like when I say in the song, you know, I, I, then I get up and pour the rest in the sink. You know, I have it, I pour it out and then I look at a little bit. Well, let me just take this last sip because I poured the rest of it out. So I was like at that stage where I was like, I knew I needed to stop drinking. I'm, I'm drinking some of my alcohol and pouring the rest out thinking me pouring half of it. Okay. I'm good. I poured half of it out. You know what I mean? Mm. So I, I knew a change needed to be made with my mom, especially my mom bringing it up to me. But once I made the song, the weight of the song was what made it easy for me to stop, you know, because it's like, not only am I listening to it on repeat, but you know, this thing has, you know, 28 million views. I'm very interactive with people. I'm reading comments every day. I'm reading emails. I'm doing the open verse challenge, going through these things. I'm listening to the song on repeat. So just like the weight of the world with this song has made it very easy for me to not drink, which is why people are like, yo, why are you pushing this song so, so hard and for so long? Cause usually I'm dropping every two weeks, mm. like for the last five years. But just also me being on this path to stop drinking, I've been just wanting to stay on this song because with my focus on this song, it's easy for me to not drink because I'm like going to war with these people. But I'm like, I got to go. I got to be at the front of the pack in the war if I'm going to drop this. You know, I got to be, you know, leading the charge. So the whole the whole weight, I think, of this song has made it easier for me to not drink. So how did you do it? Like you got up one day, said, that's it. What What did you do? So the first thing I did is I got rid of all the alcohol in my vicinity. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's none. And I think that was like the biggest thing for me because my thing was this, I, I drank for every event. If I was uploading a music video on YouTube, I'm drinking. If I was maybe posting something on all my social media that day, I would have a little bit. If I'm about to go live, I might have a little bit. If I'm about to perform, I'm gonna have a little bit. If I'm filming a music video, oh, I'm about to turn up on my music video because it's tedious. So it was just accompanied yeah. to everything. So yeah. there was always alcohol around me because I had leftovers from all these things I was using it for. So I'm like, okay, step one. Well, first I'm going to have obviously all this content, like on TikTok, there's a video of me like pouring out alcohol. So I had all the alcohol I had left and I'm like, let me make all this content for when I do the promotion for this song and just make everything like that. And then after that was done, okay, let me get rid of all the alcohol around me. And then I changed my pattern. So mm. for example, like sometimes I would like, I would go to, say, if I go to a store, I would always like sit in the same store in the parking lot and hang out. And then usually I would end up going in there and buying some alcohol. You know what I mean? And I also had to change the pattern to, okay, well, I also got to get rid of McDonald's and McDonald's fries because that was a part of like my pattern too. I would have a caramel iced coffee with light cream for McDonald's with a small fry. And then that would lead me to the parking lot that was right across the street. And then at that parking lot, there would be the alcohol inside the store. I would get a couple Mike's Hards, take those home, boom, boom, boom. So I was like, okay, let me get rid of the alcohol in my vicinity and change the pattern. So I started drinking Starbucks coffee and having egg white bites. And where that Starbucks was at, it would lead me not driving by that store. Because I know I'm a very habitual person. So that was my first step, getting rid of it and then changing the daily habit and the, the routine. The room, right. Very, very routine. And that's, I always say to people that work with me, it's about association as well. Associating 
you downloading onto YouTube is that's when I have a drink association drink with that, that, that. And, and you have to like cut the umbilical cord to it and, and change it up. And that's a really, really good way to do it right from the beginning. Right. So did you find that quite easy to do or did you have like cravings or? It was easier to do because I had a song accompanying with, coming with it. Like, you know, like that's why a lot of people ask me, like, how did you, how did you say, I'm like, well, I have this huge song that's going really well. That's accompanied with the whole process. Yeah. And most people don't have that luxury, you know? So that whole process of just like knowing in my heart that this song was going to make an impact on the world was very like, you know what? You can, you can not, you can stop drinking for, for this song right now. Like you can, you can get on this path. And in a way you, you become accountable. Don't right. you? Yeah. Because yeah, people sure. are going to be watching that and seeing you find a bottle against the wall without a meeting and whatever and think, well, my hero, my legend is giving out alcohol. I, I want to do the same. So there's accountability right. as well. Right. And and my first thing, it was like, because I had to come to the grips because I was like, I told myself, I was like, you know, I, I don't think, like I'm 28. I don't think I'll never not drink again. Like even since I went four months sober and I went on a vacation and I had some tequila and I was like, fuck, I fucked up. You know what I mean? But. I haven't felt the need to drink since then. So I was like, okay, so there's improvement because usually like, you know, if I'm drinking one day, it's just like, but like, I didn't feel it almost, it felt like it was when I first started drinking when I was 17, it was like, oh, I had it for this thing. And then I just forgot about it. But I, 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 my biggest challenge is going to come once I start performing regularly. That's where I'm just like, right now it's very easy because life is just, you know, whatever. But once I start touring and doing shows, like that's where I'm going to have to, I know is going to be the battle because I've, I've, I've never performed completely sober. Uh, uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to, you're going to see what it's like or do you think you're going to give in and I don't know. I, I mean, I my my tours, my, my next Canadian tour is not till November. So like I, like I haven't toured, it's, you know, it'll be over a year. I think I'm going to try the, I'm going to try, I'm going to have to try at least one sober. I, I I think I think I'll, I think I'll be good. I really ah, ah, I don't know. Listen, I don't know. listen, like, like listen. it's like it's, people say to me, I don't know how I'm going to do this next year. I don't know how I'm going to do this in three months. And I say that's in three months' time. And we can o- overanalyze things, right? And this is this word that I hate that you don't know, but the word journey. I, mm. it is an adventure right so we take day by day by day and we see where we are so i think being open-minded about it and by then you could be in a much different place anyway you know you'd be right. on a different path a bit like snakes and ladders where you're going further along the board and whatever and then by then you've had biceps like arnold schwarzenegger because you'd be doing 500 press-ups yeah. in the morning 500 <laughs> in the afternoon right You'd be super, super fit. And then maybe by then you'll think, you know what? I don't need a drink because the amount of musicians I've had on this podcast and spoken to as well, where they, they've been drinking and and being really oblivious. And I know why you do it. You were saying because of the confidence and whatever. I think you should be open minded, mate. And I would love it that if I find out that when you do start your tour that you've carried on because obviously at some stage you realize alcohol isn't serving you that, that way. Right. And I, I, I I mean, I know myself, I'm definitely going to get into it. One thing I've really liked is like my, my memory has been a lot better. Being on, yeah, being on the stage is such an interesting thing. You know what I mean? Like I said, I was never like I didn't grow up wanting to be a musician. This was never like my goal. Like I don't want to rap or sing or anything like that. 
So when I'm on stage, it's always just like, man, I'm just trying to have fun. You know, that's literally, I say that on stage, man. Uh, my name is Dax, and all I'm going to do for the next 45 minutes is have an unbelievable amount of fun. And all I do is basically my goal when I perform is to try to sweat. Like, that's my goal. You know, I'm trying to work out for me, essentially. But yeah, I, de- I definitely got to try it. Yeah, I'm going, I'm, I know I'm going to. I've, I think what it is, right? I think it's a bit like you going to the parties before because you, you was a pro basketball player. You had plenty of confidence and whatever, but it, it's that lack of confidence in maybe just before the gig of getting up there, hoping it's going to be all right. right. But once you're up on a stage, you smash it, right? So the adrenaline carries you through on its own. So, right. I mean, look, mate, I'm not trying to encourage you like, no, you're right. Dave. You're right. Yeah, because I know right now I feel like the fact that I'm not drinking anymore. I feel I feel great. I feel accomplished. Like I've done. Like even I used to like you know have like say I would do an interview. You know I would have some tequila before I would do an interview. You know and like now I've accomplished so many things that I used yeah. to not do without alcohol. But the last stage is conquering the show. That is like my last, like the last level. You know, is conquering like especially now the shows are going to be so much bigger and like the last level is conquering that i'm excited for the challenge and it is stepping stones isn't it it's like yeah. stages because you learn and you grow and you develop and and you know doing interviews and different bits and pieces sober sex mate you know right. stuff like that relationships radio interviews tv interviews podcasts with sober dave who and uh, right. you know, <laughs> like you know like all these things you do and and to be honest you know what mate i did a talk um, a year ago at, at, at college in front of 400 students, I was shitting myself. Absolutely, <laughs> mate. Talking about my, my boozing, you know, and, and what, when I got up there, I've, I was like, this isn't about me. It's about them and what I could give to them, you know, and afterwards it's like, I would never have done that before you know you develop and you grow and you get your confidence but it's with clarity you know you you see so and i'm just wondering about your songwriting how how that might change because you're gonna oh no i didn't i I never songwrite drunk i didn't i didn't i didn't songwrite drunk no but it's still a fair if you're drinking and whatever it does cloud the mind doesn't it and the more you you are sober the clearer and more clarity you got because you know what i sent you about share the bass guitarist of the gorillas and that his his playing was just it, it gets better and better and better. But he didn't realise oh, wow. at a time when he was drinking that it was actually stunting his um mm. ability, you know. So it carries on, man. <laughs> it really does. I mean, like right. I'm I'm four years sober next January and I still have I still have brain fog a little bit, but that might be to do with how long I've been drinking and the amount I was drinking. Mm. Or right. it could be that I'm an old git. <laughs> but I definitely noticed like more clarity because I mean I guess I was I was drinking since I was seventeen you know consistently so yeah it's quite a long time but I definitely noticed like memories just like better and I was I was like yeah you know it's crazy because I used to say I was like I was like yo I played basketball for so long but I don't really remember too many games and I don't know if that's just because you just forget shit in life or just because I was always like like I was you know drinking during those times I don't I don't know I don't know yeah. like. Even now, after I perform like shows, I can't necessarily say I remember performances like that. But I've always been drunk before every like drinking before every performance. So I wonder. I'm like, damn, if I would have never drank during that whole tour, like would I remember? Yeah, I, I think you would remember lots of moments. You know, the the right. the experience of about to go on stage. I mean, what what's your average crowd? When you go on stage, I so I mean that was my first year touring the Canadian tour, anywhere from like two to three hundred back then. 
Yeah. And Sometimes now we got four. I think the Canadian tour now, I think it's about to be crazy. I'm not even, I really don't even know. I think I'm thinking 500 to maybe a thousand, maybe more by that time with what I drop. Yeah. You know? uh, I, I'm very new to the touring stuff, you know, like I have all these streams and stuff like that, but I've only done four tours because I've only been making music for now five years. Well, and, and in that time, you've had a uh, lockdown of two and a half years as well. So there's not a lot right. you could do in there. So right. uh, all your stuff was online, right? Like uh, right. SoundCloud, is it? And Yeah, YouTube, you know, Spotify, all that stuff. So I'm expecting like anywhere from 500 to 1,000 for the Canadian tour. Amazing, mate. And you just think going on there sober, getting out, grabbing that mic, smashing it, right. coming off thinking, yeah, baby. No, yeah. And especially, especially now, I feel like my songs are like, you know, like Dear Alcohol is a singing song. You know, I, I, I have singing songs in the past, but like not as many. Even the songs I'm making now, they're more singing. So I can see performing those sober for real. Like, you know, a lot of my songs in the past were very, very high energy. I'm talking, you know, like I'm screaming, I'm shouting, I'm just... <laughs> you know mm. so definitely you know played a role and you didn't have used to drink after either did you because a lot of people i talk to they they adrenaline rush from the gig they would come off and immediately start chucking the bloody vodka down their neck but you wasn't right, like so that on, was you on the tech nine tour i did drink after right but that was also like i learned very quickly like i feel like I, i'm also able to watch and learn from other people mm. you know so the tech nine tour was like my crash course but I was also like, there's no way I can maintain this for a prolonged period of time. You know, so I learned very quickly on my own tour after that one. It was, I'm drinking before, having my fun, go on stage. But as soon as I get off this stage, I am going back to my room, eating rice and chicken and passing the fuck out. <laughs> you know, like that, that was just like, I was so bent on that because I always knew when I woke up the next day, I always felt good, you know? So, cause I was, I was drink so many water bottles while I performed. But I almost, I felt like I was sobering myself up during the performance. Cause I've always just been a loner. Like, you know, before my shows, I, there's, I don't, I don't want a green room. I don't want nothing. I sit in wherever I'm at. I would sit my alcohol periodically and do push-ups. That's what I do before a show. Yeah. I want to talk to nobody. I don't want to, I want to sip alcohol and do push-ups. It got you in the zone, right? The, right. Tony Robbins jumps up and down on that little trampoline before he goes out and stays. So it's a way of focusing, isn't it? Right. You right. know? Focusing. But, yeah. you know, I would love it if you uh, did that and did a gig to see, to experience what it was like to go out on that stage cold stone sober and to see how it, it, you know you're a high achiever as well it's clear to me Thank that you. you know you're a high achiever so we all know alcohol stunts all of that it holds you back and it it's like right. a um poison ivy and it grows starts from your ankles and then grows up and wraps around you you know so at 28, you stopping drinking is amazing. And and you know what you say, I don't know if I'm going to not drink forever. That works for people as well sometimes because they hate, they can't deal with that forever thing. You know, it, it it's too much for them. So they go, and I do know people as well that have, have um, got sober like that, that are three years sober now. And they've said, I don't know if I drink again, but at the moment I'm not. And that works for me. So maybe right. that's um, what, what right. you look at it because the forever right. seems too much. Right. And it's funny because I literally have a song called Eternity. You know what I mean? I just think the concept of eternity is very hard for humans to comprehend. So when I say I'm never going to drink again, it's like, you know, it's it's hard to just... 
So I just try to take it day by day. That's why I don't even like to like, there was one point where I was saying, okay, I, like, I'm four months without drinking. Now I'm just I'm tired of like obsessing over the number and the month and, you know, making a post for it. And I just, it just, it's just too much. I rather just, I just like taking it day by day, you know? Yeah. Otherwise it's, it just dominates your mindset and maybe the way right. you do it, you've got other things to do and, and live your life with that plan along in the background. But I love your kind of changing your routine thing. It's so important to do that. You know, like I often say to people when they got routine, they get them from work and they go straight to the fridge and they get the bottle of wine out, they open the back door and they light a fag and they start WhatsApping their friends. And then before they know it, they have a bottle down, they open the second one up. And it's like, when you stop drinking, why are you going to sit in the kitchen with a back door open having a fag? Because you're going to crave for a glass of wine, aren't you? Right. So exactly. you have to change so much when you do it. You know? Right. Yeah. Changing the habits. Like, that's just what I've, I've just, I just, basketball and sports and just the way I, my brain works, you know, like, yeah, the habits you, cause we're such habitual creatures, whether we know it or not, you know, even yeah. just the fact that we wake up every morning and go brush our teeth. That's a habit that most of us do every day of our lives. So I've always told myself is like, what can I make as easy as brushing my teeth? Like, what can I make a part of my lifestyle? Because I, I won't say I like brushing my teeth, but it's such a part of my lifestyle that I just do it. So that's just the power of routine. You know what I mean? So now I'm just in that routine of, okay, wake up, workout, Starbucks, you know, medium caramelized coffee, light cream, egg white bites, please. You know, no light, light cream, light cream. You know what I mean? And I sip on that and I come do my work. And so I'm just, I'm in that routine now. Yeah. You know? Well, I'll tell you what, mate, when I wake up, I have to clean my teeth for my breath. Trust me. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pleased you've joined me today. And it's been fascinating talking to you as well. And it just goes to show like everyone's relationship with alcohol. It all looks the same, but they're all different yeah. from different backgrounds. You know, you come from a sporting background. I love the fact that you, found that 11 years old you know the key it's right. uh there's another guy i had on my podcast called ryan and um he he uh the power of the universe he lives like that every single day law of attraction he's he's amazing you know and he's canadian actually he's um, oh, wow. doing a film about addiction and uh he's also cycling across the whole of canada for charity wow yeah Ryan Phillips, his name is, and he was an ex-professional hockey player. So oh, wow. there's another professional sportsman that got hooked into alcohol, you know, and now he's sober and he's doing okay. But, you know, we can turn this around where we're obsessed with things and we, we like, obsess on things. We can then obsess on what, you know, like my sobriety obsess on, obsess, can't even say it. So, look, it's been a joy, mate. And uh, I wish you all the best for your tour in November. And you'll have to let us know if you can uh, get up on that stage. I'm coming out there soon, too. Are I'm you? Soon. Yeah, I was, I was just in uh, Switzerland. That was good. So but I'm, I'm, I'm going to come out there. You're in the UK, correct? Yeah. Yes, yeah, sir. I was, I was out there th two, three years ago for a show. I did the Fire in the Park Festival with Charlie Sloss. So I'm going to be back out there, man. I'm going to hit you up. Come and say hello, mate. And, and thank okay. you so much for joining me, mate. And all the best. Thank you. Good man. Thank you so much, mate. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of One for the Road. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can now download my app, 
Sober Dave on the Apple and Google Play Store. And on there you will find lots of tutorials, tips and supplies.